Welcome to the Food Foundation Podcast, the award-winning voice of the charity which campaigns for better access to healthy food for every child in the UK. I'm Dr. Rupi Orjula, a GP and the author and presenter of the Doctor's Kitchen books and podcasts, as well as my latest book, Dr. Rupi Cooks. And this week, we're celebrating a very special birthday. On the 5th birthday of the soft drinks industry levy, we're really pleased at the Food Foundation to be joining with Sustain and the Obesity Health Alliance, um, British Heart Foundation and Impact on Urban Health to say a big thank you to the government for introducing this policy. Um, we're frequently in the position of criticising the government over, over something or other, but it's really nice on this occasion to be able to really say thank you for a, a, a policy that has been well implemented and that's been hugely successful. That's Isabel Hughes, Policy Engagement Manager at the Food Foundation, who we'll hear much more from later. But first, let me roll back the years. Often I get maybe looked at as being radical. I don't believe anything in the shopping list or my plan or my suggestions is radical. It's very basic. Um, you know, and even down to a sugary drinks tax, I'm sure the select committee are aware of the, the sheer volume of people in hospital because of diet-related disease. We're back in October 2015 and Jamie Oliver is presenting his idea for a sugar tax to the Health Select Committee at the House of Commons. It's part of a long campaign to create a healthier Britain as obesity figures soar. At this time, a third of children aged 2 to 15 are living with overweight or obesity. For the first time, we're told that children with obesity could die before their parents. Joe Rowling, now Head of Communications at the Food Foundation, was on the team back then, watching him deliver his speech. It was an amazing day when Jamie gave evidence at the Health Select Committee. We went in with, uh, I remember, a load of... uh sugary drinks bottles that we labelled up with sugar cube labelling to show how much sugar was in each of the drinks Um, and Jamie was so powerful that day, he was very uh, calm and considered and uh, but the moment we uh, showed them the bottles it was a kind of game changer moment for me, I felt them really sit up in the room um, and they were listening and I think it was uh, a wonderful moment where we began to change the narrative we spent months uh, gathering uh, other NGOs and the medical community, do- doctors and nurses and lots of different voices. But we'd also begun to really convince government that actually this was going to be seen as a tax for good and that the general public would be ready to accept a, a tax that was going to benefit children's health and children's education. The following April 2016, Budget Day arrived and the Jamie Oliver team gathered as George Osborne stood up. We were all sitting, listening to the budget and then suddenly it was announced and it was the most joyous moment for us. It was a, we thought, thank goodness, finally this government is doing something really brave and bold. Um, The way they'd structured it and the way it was being done was going to drive reformulation and um, that was so important. It was going to encourage all the drinks manufacturers and to really bring down the sugar levels in all their drinks and sure enough that's exactly what happened as the soft drink industry considered the marketing opportunities that reformulation could win them peter harding chief at luke's aid Ribena, had beaten them all to it and his reward was to cook with jamie himself at a fundraising event in billingsgate as we heard on the delicious podcast back in april 2017 peter Lovely man he is too. <laughs> They've given us real jobs to do. I've been making horseradish, cooking beef. Oh, but I got a slap wrist for leaving a dirty plate and stuff. But it's been ma- magnificent. It's been a real 
really inspirational. But it was much more than food that Peter Harding was cooking up by leading Lucasaid Rabina across the finishing line of reformulation. We realised um, that we've been on the wrong side of the argument for quite some time. And we realised that it was time for a change and it was, we had an opportunity to lead the soft drinks industry. And we made a decision about a year ago that we were going to undergo a massive reformulation of our drinks to try and cut 50% of the sugar out. We managed to reformulate our drinks with 50% less sugar, but they taste exactly the same. You get exactly the same glucose in Luxade, all the vitamin C in Ribena, but they still taste brilliant. I think Jamie's been an inspiration for us. Um, and no, I, I say that very sincerely because what he's, he had a point. And, you know... I'm, I'm a father to my, for four children. I care about their health and I care about the health of the kids in the UK. I have a thousand people in the UK now punching the air, clapping and cheering as these new products come off our line. These new fabulous drinks that taste wonderful, still have glucose energy, but are low in sugar. And you know, I'm just really excited that I can stand beside people like Jamie Oliver. I see that now as our mission that for us in the soft drinks industry that we are the first in the UK to make this change I'm hoping others will follow us um, I'm hoping others will encourage kids and, and adults to take more exercise and if we can get enough people moving the centre of gravity to the, of the argument we might just be able to create real change in a way that the, in the last 10 years we haven't been able to achieve it He's a smart bloke, is Jamie Oliver, and he knows where the power to change really lies. When you are working with the bosses, uh, it means you've got an amazing opportunity to inspire and empower uh, and hopefully kind of, in a nice way, put a little pressure on these people that run these companies um, about the story of waste not being a kind of nice luxury. It's a necessity. And um, the fact about sort of, you know, procuring food or buying food in a kind of responsible way, um, you know, this can make a, a, a big, big impact. And, you know, even the CEO of, of Lucadade, Ribena, you know, openly thanked me for um, promoting the sugary drinks tax. Who would have ever thought that that conversation would ever have happened? But, you know, um, ultimately, I think these individuals have incredible power to not only look after their colleagues and staff in the most amazing way, but also um, help educate and inspire the public as well. Joe Rowling. It, it was just a very exciting time for us because all the work and all the campaigning and all the, the, the years that Jamie had been focused on the children's health and children's food ed education, we were actually making some progress. And in fact, I think it's it was really the reason I've carried on in campaigning. Uh, I think it was... For me, it was that moment you realised you really can make a difference. The soft drinks industry levy, or ESTIL, introduced a tax on the production and import of soft drinks that contain added sugar. It's paid by businesses, not by consumers, and its range depends on the amount of sugar that their products contain. Now, Jamie Oliver would be the first to say that the sugar tax was the result of years of campaigning from stakeholders across the sector and of support from MPs across the political spectrum. Isabel Hughes from the Food Foundation explains what it set out to do and why it was such a turning point in the campaign for access to a healthy diet for everyone in the UK. So the soft drinks industry levy was a really momentous policy decision. Um, it was introduced as a result of years and years of campaigning by organisations across the NGO sector and uh, also, of course, memorably by Jamie Oliver and his extensive campaigning around, around sugar. 
Um, it was a really landmark policy because it was one of the few that really kind of tackles the structural issues around the food environment and seeks to change the food that's available to us rather than just trying to educate consumers about what they should be eating. Um, it's, a, it's a tax on businesses rather than a tax on consumers. Um, and essentially what it does is um, tax businesses that manufacture sugary drinks um, or that import sugary drinks into the UK and the tax is set on the basis of how much sugar is in those drinks. So sugary drinks that have um, very little sugar in them or no sugar in them are not taxed at all. The drinks that have much higher levels of sugar are subject to a much higher tax. And what that does essentially is encourage businesses to change their recipes and reduce the levels of sugar um, that are in their drinks um, over time. Compared to some of the other schemes that the government have put into place to make our diets healthier, Isabel says that the success of the sugar tax proves that regulation works. We've clearly learnt that, that mandatory measures in the policy space are much more effective than voluntary measures. Over the last five years, we've seen um, sugar in drinks, the average amount of sugar in drinks, come down very dramatically in the UK. Um, so Back when Estil was introduced, there was an average of 3.8 grams of sugar per 100 mils in sugary drinks. Um, that's now come down by 46%. So there's now just 2.1 grams on average of sugar per 100 mils. Um, amazing achievement. And if we compare that to some other policies that the government has introduced in this area, for example, the Voluntary Sugar Reduction Programme, which ran from 2015 to 2020... Estill has been far more successful. So the Voluntary Sugar Reduction Programme encouraged businesses to reduce sugar levels on a completely voluntary basis across various different food categories. Um, and the, the final report from that programme was, was published just recently um, and showed that those categories achieved just a 3.5% reduction in average sugar levels. So compared to the reductions that the Estills achieved, it's been hugely successful. Um, and looking forward, we would really hope that um, this government and the all political parties We'll, we'll look at what Estill has achieved um, and the win-wins that we've seen through, um, it, through its implementation and we'll learn the lessons from that in shaping their future policy decisions about policies in the obesity space and we'll really look to introduce more mandatory measures to, to improve the, the nutrition of our food. Dr Paul McArdle is a registered dietitian specialising in diabetes. So in the first couple of years of the, um, of the sugar tax, there was a 10% reduction in, in the consumption of sugar from, from these kind of beverages. So, but interestingly, overall, the, the overall um, consumption and sales of, of soft drinks didn't change. Um, so, so it didn't put people off buying them because most companies actually decided uh, to change their recipe rather than slap the tax on. Uh, there's only a couple of examples where they just put the price up and, and sort of absorbed it. Um, so it has changed um, sugar consumption. According to the Medical Research Council's Epidemiology Unit at the University of Cambridge, the sugar tax has so far led to an 8% relative reduction in obesity levels among 11-year-old girls. Not so much boys, interestingly. But the researchers found that the sugar tax was more of an association rather than a causal link. Paul McArdle explains. Well, the, the thing about nutrition science is that it's complicated <laughs> and that 
it's not quite as straightforward as drug research, for example. So, for example, with with drug research, um, you know, you have your placebo, you have your sort of fake fake drug, you have the real one, uh, and you compare the two groups uh, and you control everything, and then you see what happens as a result. Well, nutrition doesn't work like that because we don't live in um, in you know hermetically sealed boxes. We, um, we we live our lives, and so with nutrition science, you have to look at associations quite often, um, and you also can't always say exactly what is cause and effect and that's what that's what's happening here really um so you know we know that the consumption of sugar free sugars has gone down and 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 that research has found an association between the sugar the sugar tax and the reduction in sugar consumption with reducing levels of obesity now that because it wasn't a controlled trial, there was no comparator group, we can't say for certain that that's exactly what caused it, but we can say it's an association and it's a move in the right direction. But we, we have to remember as well that sugar is only one part of the story, isn't it? You know, obesity is complex in the same way nutrition is complex. And so we have to look at the whole picture. And, you know, we have to look at the whole food system, we have to look at the whole dietary approach, the whole lifestyle approach. Um, but it, you know, it sounds like it's made a, a, a useful contribution. But we've got to be realistic about who's consuming the most sugar. I think in young people um, and adolescents, it's well recognised that they're the group in, in our um, country who are most likely to consume higher quantities of high sugar foods and, and drinks. Um, and so that continues. Um, and, I, and I think expecting um, massive changes in behaviour from, from a, a, a population of adolescents is, is highly unlikely. <laughs> um, so, so where they're consuming, um, you know, they're major consumers of free sugars. Um, and so free sugars, the definition of free sugars are sugars which are added by the cook, consumer or the manufacturer. And it's any sugars which are um, found in syrups and jams and things as well. Um, so it doesn't include sugars which are naturally occurring in fruit, uh, milk, etc. So, so adolescents are well recognised to be one of the highest consumers of, of free sugars. And of course, some of those free sugars will be coming from sugar-sweetened drinks as well. Um, and as I said, expecting them to change their behaviour is, is, uh, and not drink those products or, or eat those sweets and confectionery is, is a big ask. <laughs> Catherine Jenner is director of the Obesity Health Alliance, one of the signatories to that birthday card given to the government, but warns that obesity levels are still going up. Well, sadly, just introducing a sugary drinks tax was never going to be enough on its own. We really thought it was going to be the start of something bigger, perhaps looking at bigger categories, moving to milk drinks and other categories that are high contributors of sugar in the diets. But alongside that, there's just been so much going on over the last few years that a small intervention like the sugary drinks industry levy is not going to have had a huge impact. So talking about COVID, we're talking about um, supply chain issues and cost of living issues, meaning that people are not getting the access they need to healthy and affordable diets but is reformulation solving the real problem that we're eating too much ultra processed food that our palates are too used to too much sweetness reformulation has had an amazing effect in doing what it's meant to do which is reducing the amount of sugar in soft drinks so we've seen the sugar levels come down to really significant levels that we wouldn't have been able to see through any other measure such as telling people to have less sugar in drinks but it's not enough on their own we had always advocated that you should be reducing sugar and reducing the sweetness of food at the same time rather than having this reliance on sweeteners so that people's palates could get used to less sugary and sweet foods and then you might have seen a knock-on benefit onto other categories of food as well 
So any future plans we'd like to see taking that into account. And what about the cost of living crisis? Isn't this the wrong time to be talking about introducing more taxes? I think that now is the time when people are having unhealthy diets. We need to encourage them towards healthier and more affordable diets as well. So as well as removing sugar from these drinks, we haven't seen customers substituting sugar elsewhere. Um, the, although some manufacturers did choose to pass on the rule the um, cost of not reformulating onto their consumers, so increasing the price of their drinks. This didn't impact on any of the other ranges that did reduce sugar, meaning that there's a similar range of affordable and healthier soft drinks out there. So that's the sort of model that we should be rolling out in a time when people are finding it hard to eat healthy. And of course, that money raised as well, going into the Treasury, over a billion pounds over the last five years, and that's helping fund school breakfast, PE equipment, plus those really vital school holiday food and activities that are meaning we're bringing in children on the lowest incomes into an environment where they can have a healthy meal and really just be assessed for their overall health as well. So it's really a valuable contributor to children's health. GPs like me see patients with sugar-related health issues every day. And however successful the sugar tax is enforcing the hand of the soft drinks industry, helping people living with obesity to manage their diets is always going to be a much more complicated challenge. Dr. Paul McArdle says that pursuing a range of interventions is the way forward. I, I think different groups in our society have different health priorities and different focus. And and I think that when we put out a lot of negative messages um, about harms and concerns, there are certain groups which I don't see responding to that. So, so I don't see um, young people, for example, responding that, responding to, to sort of massive messages around harms and fear. I don't see people who are struggling, you know, financially. You know, people who ha- uh, have having financial difficulties or you know experiencing food insecurity don't respond a lot to those kind of messages because they're not necessarily equipped or or in a position to to you know to to make a lot of different choices uh, you know people i work a lot of uh, with a lot of young people with mental health difficulties and you know they they don't respond to those kinds of messages either you, you need to take a multiple approach to these problems there's, there's there's nudge theory and then there's the kind of taxation approach um and i think we need all of these approaches because they have different impacts on different groups and that's what i see in my in my patients There's no doubt that the sugar tax has been a massive win for government, industry and the health of the nation. Importantly, that's without impacting on soft drink sales. In fact, soft drink sales rose 5.7% in the first year after the introduction of the levy. And now 89% of sales come from low and no sugar drinks. Five years on, Peter Harding of Lucasaid Ribena, who was the first to go for reformulation, says that it was an unprecedented success. It's been very, very successful for our business. Um, we had an initial consumer reaction from some of our real core loyalists, which was, you know, they didn't like it too much, to be very honest with you. Um, and it took a while to adjust, but... Um, the these majority of these consumers came back um our business is stronger now than it ever has been um and um you know our portfolio is fit for the future we also obviously received a, a lot of support um in the media we sp- received a lot of support from retailers as well so it was a like all of these things you know change is uncomfortable but the outcome's been good for us like any change process we went through the shock 
denial, anger, and then we eventually adjusted to it, got used to the idea, and then realized that if we lent into it, it could be a positive thing for um, our industry, our businesses, and our brands. I'm not sure how much this agenda has actually changed the overall consumption patterns of the British consumer. That's still a big, big issue for us. I think we'd all like to see other sectors of the the food industry following more proactively. Um, and uh, you know, I still think there's a fair amount of work to be done there. But this is a multi-dimensional issue for every society, um, wherever we go in the world now. It's not just about consumption, it's also about exercise, it's about lifestyles, it's a, it's a big, big issue for us all. The food and drink industry cannot do it alone. The Food Foundation firmly believes that the sugar tax is just the beginning and it can go even further. Isabel Hughes. There's a couple of types of soft drinks which were exempt originally from um, the soft drinks industry levy. Um, Those included milk-based drinks and fruit juices, and we would really love to see those loopholes closed. Um, That would be uh, quite a small step that the government could take in the right direction, just extending the existing uh, model to those, those other categories of soft drinks and ensuring that all sugary drinks across the soft drinks category are captured. Um, But we'd also love to see government go further than that. All of those categories that are currently part of the voluntary sugar reformulation programme could be subject in future to mandatory measures. There's been various proposals that have been made in this space. For example, Henry Dimbleby proposed a new sugar and salt tax in his independent national food strategy recommendations. Um, We've also seen proposals made uh, to apply another category-based tax, so a bit like Estill, extending a tax to to another category that contributes a lot of sugar to our diets or or a series of categories that contribute a lot of sugar. Um, At the moment, uh, the evidence is emerging on on kind of which of those options might be most impactful. Uh, And there's lots and lots of research going on in this space and the Food Foundation is... Uh, contributing to various projects that are that are working to expand the evidence base. Um, but what we're clear about is that ambitious mandatory policies like the ESTIL are absolutely necessary if we want to see more rapid progress being made by businesses um, in improving the healthfulness of the products on our shelves. It's vital that the government takes some steps in this direction as part of the next phase of its obesity strategy. Thanks for listening. You can find out much more about the sugar tax, why it matters and what the Food Foundation wants to do next by going to foodfoundation.org.uk and clicking on the latest news and blogs. And write to your MP to say that you support the sugar tax and would like to see the government do more to reduce excess sugar in our food. To tackle obesity, remember that you do have the power to influence real change. Please rate and review the Food Foundation podcast by clicking on the link on the show notes and make sure you subscribe to hear our thoughts and analysis on what makes healthy food matter.